at the Spiritual Awakening Conference. Got to preach at night, and now I'm going to be with these students. I should say a word to you about the guest professors that are here. Different times that I come to teach, there'll be other uh, men who will be teaching also. And we've got some really remarkable men with us right now. I won't review who they are, but I was speaking with Brother Potter uh, earlier about the fact that I got some questions to ask him about Old Testament theology. And I have found some amazing resources on guest professors where uh, I can ask questions and get some answers. And uh, they're good guys, so you be sure to be around them. I said Pastor McGelvin's nice. Uh, they're nice, too. So we'll get to know them all. All right. Now we'll turn to John chapter 15. Maybe you've got that figured out. Welcome to all of you. There are folks who are here for various reasons, and I'm sure that the Lord has you here to uh, for the purpose of hearing uh, just exactly what I'm going to read in the Bible right now. So let's pay close attention. John chapter 15, these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ spoken to his disciples the night before he died on the cross. They didn't know he was going to die tomorrow, but of course he did. And he was preparing them for what was to come. And uh, he prepares us for what he calls the abundant life through these chapters. Now we're coming to the bottom line in chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples." Spiritual Awakening Conference. We're talking about what could be called the Spirit Life with a capital S. Walking in the Spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. The Lord Jesus Christ in John 15 calls the same life, Abide in Me. Abide in Me describes the Christian life from the point of view or the standpoint of the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, Abide in Him. Filled with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit in other parts of the Bible, refers to the normal Christian life as it is lived in relationship to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. It's the higher life, the productive life, the abundant life, often missed. You know, if you want to find eternal life, read the book of John. That's where I met Jesus Christ. And in the book of John, it says, come to me and you'll have eternal life. 
Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. If there's someone here today who is not yet saved, I'm going to tell you how to get saved. Come to Jesus and he'll do the rest. He'll save you. Yes. But you know what? You can be saved and not living at your potential. He said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And some of you who are not Christians yet, you know Christians who are not really living like it, or they not living like they enjoy it. Save people, but not good advertising for the Christian life. Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with them. They have eternal life, but they're not living the abundant life. And that is abide in me. And sometimes Christian people who want to live up here don't get there because they miss a few of the aspects of the Christian life, which, as I told you last night, is my job to talk to you about and bring them about and bring them forward to you. The first one we talked about last night is the fact that the father is the husbandman. Yeah. See, uh, I'm a branch off the vine. The vine is Jesus Christ. If I abide in the, in the vine, if I stay connected with the life-giving vine, I will have his life flow through me and I'll produce his fruit. An amazing thing. But somebody's in charge here. The husbandman, the vine dresser, the one who comes by and inspects the branches and takes the action necessary that I might be fruitful and abundant. See, the goal is to bear fruit. And someone is working in that direction. And he is my Heavenly Father. Now, wouldn't that be something if the Heavenly Father was able to get our cooperation so that we could learn to abide in the vine and bear his fruit? What if that happened here? And I want you to picture this. Here, not just two or three, not some of the best. Here, everybody, all of a sudden, their eyes open to the abundant life. And they walk out of this day, abiding in Christ, committed to obey him, trusting him for the power. And they go out into this world. Now, I know a lot of us are kind of confined to the campus. But, you know, sometimes you get out there and see real people. Okay, so we're out there and we find ourselves speaking about Jesus Christ. Did you know that's not against the law? You know, you'll startle somebody if you mention Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, they probably won't pull a gun on you. But so you start talking about Jesus Christ. You find yourself doing that. And you know what? It has an effect on them because you know what? You're connected to the vine. What if that happened here? That's my question. What if that happened right here today? And the branches started bearing fruit. And you know what? We show up on campus a little late for lunch and we'll say, you'll never guess what happened. I was down there at Pick and Save. And you know what? I was in line with this lady. And I just looked at her and I thought about this. So I said, well, I'll go for it. I said, you know what? Uh, I'm a Christian. I'm not bragging on that fact, but I'm sure glad to be saved. And I've been standing here wondering if you are. I said that. That's not a very good, appropriate way to approach someone. But she said, you know, this is interesting. I've been just thinking about that. You know, I need the Lord. And I led her to Christ. Boy, that would make it an interesting lunch. We come back. We hear about this miracle. What if it happened here? And you know what I'm telling you? It is great to learn 
about the abide in me life. And sometimes we need help. I remember a person who put together a conference to help people to understand how to walk this walk, just in a practical way. It was a conference, basically a couple's retreat. And I thought it was a good idea. People who had been told about the abundant life and about uh, abiding in Christ and bearing fruit, but got questions about it, gave it a try, failed, and now they get to stay a few days where somebody can help them with the abundant life. I thought it was a great idea, but I'm gonna tell you something great. You've already got somebody to help you. Somebody to guide you. Somebody to pick you up when you stumble. Somebody to answer your questions. You know who he is? Your father. The father is the husbandman, and we learned last night how he's taking drastic action to change our lives and make us fruitful. Wow. And not realizing that can now be the reason why we're not living it. Our Father in heaven, if we'll submit to him, what he's saying to us, what he's doing for us, we will eventually come to the abide in me life, maybe today. Now, the second aspect that's often missed is this. We must be willing to be purged. You saw that, didn't you? I am the true vine, says Jesus Christ. My father is the vine dresser. And you know what he does? If a branch does not bear fruit, he taketh it away. Whatever it means, that's a warning that's bad. Okay? But if you bear fruit, he'll purge you that you can bring forth more fruit. Now, you want to know what? That can be a description of a set of meanings like these. Fruit-bearing Christians being purged. And you know what? To come up to the higher life, the higher ground, we've got to be willing to be purged. At this conference, we've got to be willing to be purged to deal with our sins. No kidding. Now, look down at the verses again, please, if you will. It says in verse 2, Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. But the next verse says this, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now I mentioned last night that often, hearing preaching on this and studying this chapter myself, I have thought the purging was pruning. You know, if you're dealing with a garden or with a uh, vine, a grapevine, you have to do some pruning snipping, cutting, I bet it hurts. But it makes us more productive, okay? But that's not the meaning of the word. The word purge in verse 2 is based on the same root as the word clean in verse 3. What he's saying is this. Those who bear fruit, I am going to cleanse them that they'll bring forth more fruit. There's a description of revival meetings. There's a description of the Spiritual Awakening Conference. But right up front, you know what you need to know? You need to be willing to be purged to deal with your sins. Now, don't you know where you are, Baptist College of Ministry? These upright kids, just about the next thing to an angel? They're enrolled in this school. Do you know what the rules are over there? I tell you, they wouldn't be in a college like that if they weren't something remarkably saintly. How can you be saying that in order to have the revival we need, we're going to need to be willing to be purged? I'm saying it because Jesus said, 
those who bear fruit, you know what the Father's going to do? Purge you. We need to be purged. James chapter 4, a great revival passage says this, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. The only place in the Bible where Christians are called sinners because he's dealing with our sins. Did you know Christians have sins? Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He'll lift you up. You see, you got to be willing to be purged. Now, go back a couple pages. I'm going to make you do a little work, okay? Turn to chapter 13. Chapter 13 begins the account of what is called the Upper Room Discourse. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Tomorrow he's going to die on the cross. They don't know that. But he's going to take them aside first and explain to them what it's going to be like after he dies, rises, and goes back to heaven, and they're left behind. It's going to be the New Testament age. And a lot of benefits, but he's going to explain it to them. And it's a good thing for a Christian regularly to read John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Oh, man. Regularly, where Jesus Christ himself, the master, will teach you how to live the abundant life. Matter of fact, someone said, the first lengthy talk given by Jesus Christ recorded in the Bible is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which says, here's what a Christian ought to do, here's what he ought not to do. But I'll tell you what, it is some of the most phenomenal literature the world has ever seen. Some amazing insight into the human condition. It's really great. But I tell you what, living up to it is pretty tough. Yeah. Someone said, the upper room discourse where we're at now shows you how to have the power to live this Sermon on the Mount. Wow. And it's certainly worth it. And he says, you got to be purged. Look how the account begins. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Now, that's a pretty dramatic beginning because this is a very important scene with this talk. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, that sounds like Philippians 2. You make the comparison. An amazing thing about he knew it was not robbery to make himself equal with God. He knew who he was and where he was going but he made himself, took upon the form of a servant. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into the basin, a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet like a servant? 
You're coming to me and wash my feet like the servant does when you come in off the road? Dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. I'm the servant, you're the master. You're never going to wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Already Simon Peter somehow had a grasp on the fact that success in the Christian life has to do with partnering with Jesus. So Jesus says, if you won't let me wash you, you will have no part with me, which we know later on is abide in me. Can't abide in me unless you get washed. So he says, all right, if that's what I need, wash my hands and my head as well as my feet. Verse 10, Jesus saith to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. Ye are clean, but not all. Okay, what's he talking about here? We can be clean every whit. Back in John 15, next verse, Jesus said, Now you're clean. You, of all people, you're clean. You're purged. Now, the verse got to be explained a little bit here. He that is washed needeth not saved to wash his feet. Now, the Greek word translated washed there means bathed. Then he says, if you're bathed, you only need to have your feet washed, which is a way of saying, if you've taken a bath, you don't need another bath. You just need somebody to wash the dirt off your feet, which you picked up by walking down the dusty roads. And so he says, you're clean every whit. How do you do that? Number one, by having the salvation bath. The salvation bath. Where you are given forgiveness. That is legal forgiveness. That will get you into heaven. But after the salvation bath, you're going to need the confession foot washing. To take out of the way the obstacles that keep the Father from blessing and using you. Oh, yeah purge. You're going to need to be clean first. You've got to have the salvation bath, and one of you does not have it. That's Judas Iscariot, who, though we would call him a church member, a baptized man, a man who was in the service of God, was not a believer. Okay, you need to have the salvation bath. But then those of you who are saved, you need to have the confession foot washing, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Purged. Clean every whit. Now, 1 John 1.9, which we all know, ends up telling us we need to go through a process. If we confess our sins, tell God, that he's right about what he's been telling us about our misdeeds. To confess your sins means to take your, God's side against your sin. That was wrong. That is wrong. Shouldn't be in my life. 
if you confess your sins, he'll forgive you. And then it says this, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Okay, that implies a process. Meaning this, last night somebody comes to God and says, Father, the thing that's wrong is between you and me. And the fact is, I don't need to tell you what it is. You know what I do and keep doing it and excusing it and justifying it. It's not justifiable. So Lord, I want to take your side against my sin. I've been wrong and I need your forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So don't stop there. Then you say, thank you, Lord, for forgiving me of that. Is there anything else? Because David wanted to be clean, not just cleaner. So you deal with the elephant in the room, the obvious sin, get forgiven, and then you don't stop. You say, is there anything else? And I want to tell you by experience, God will work with you on this. Oh. You know, I guess that is wrong. <laughs> Would you forgive me of that too? David wanted a clean heart. He didn't just want to be cleaner. Clean every whit. A lot of Baptist people don't think you'll ever be that clean. But the night before he died, he said, that's where you start. Get purged. Now you're clean. Is there anything else? Oh. I guess I should deal with that too, should I, Father? I've been wrong about that. No excuse. Would you forgive me? Thank you for forgiving me. Is there anything else until you get clean? I met an evangelist right here at Falls. I'd heard of him for quite a while. And he and I were speaking. Oh, it was at the Spiritual Awakening Conference several years ago. Some of you will guess who this is. He's a remarkably transparent man. So I'm not afraid to tell you this story. I could see God's hand on him when he got up to preach. I don't mean I saw something. But God was using him in my life. So I caught him somewhere and I said, before the week is over, I want to talk with you and find out where you came from. Now, I know he's from Virginia, so I didn't mean where he lived. But I want to find out what's happened in your life to get you to the point where God is using you like he is. He said, sure, I'd be glad to tell you. Well, you know how things are here at the college and at the church. We get really busy. <laughs> so finally, we're at the last night and the last sermon is preached. And I find him and I said, could we talk? And he and I went to one of the Sunday school rooms and our wives wondered where we were. I said, okay, he said, oh, let me tell you the story. I'm not gonna tell you the details, but here's what he says. I was already an evangelist. I was already in the ministry, traveling and preaching, and I was angry. I thought I'd been mistreated by people, by preachers. I was very angry. And then he indicated to me that he was having a fight with his wife in a motel room. And the anger spilled over. And he walked out the motel room and slammed the door, he told me, and went walking down the street. Motel must not have been in a very nice neighborhood because he told me that he stepped over about two or three drunks. And he said he was enraged. And he just kept walking. He didn't know where he was going. 
He said, I just kept going, and when finally I stopped, I looked up to the Lord, and I didn't have any thanks, so I didn't thank him. And I didn't have any praise, so I offered no praise. All I had was sins. So I started confessing my sins. I've been wrong. Me. Not everybody else but me. It was wrong to do this, wrong to do that, wrong with my wife. Would you forgive me? I was wrong. I was wrong. He said, standing there, I just kept confessing sins. Then he said this, will you understand this? He said, and when I got to the last one, the light broke. I don't think he meant the last sin that he had remembered all the sins he'd ever committed. What he meant was, when I got to the final issue between me and God, when I got to the last one, the light broke! And I've never been the same since that night, Brother Flanders. Never the same. You know why? He got purged. See, uh, somebody comes to... Uh, the Victory Conference comes to this church. They say, I want to learn about the abundant life. I want to experience peace. I want to be fruitful. I want to know God in an intimate way. Oh, teach me the truth. Teach me the truth, Brother Van Gelderen. Teach me the truth, Brother Flanders. Oh, I'm ready to go deeper. No, you're not. Did you know you're not ready to go on to the abide in me life until you deal with the issues that are already there. I want to learn how to have victory so that I don't sin as much as I used to. You're not ready for that. You've got to deal with the sins that you already have committed. What are your sins? See, oh, Brother Fighter's going deep in the Word of God. Oh, man, I hope he brings up Greek and Hebrew. We have Greek and Hebrew scholars here. Oh, I'm going to know more than I ever knew before. Man, it's going to be a wonderful thing. Not until you deal with your sins. You got to be purged. That's what the Father will do. He won't go on to other things until you get yourself clean. I preached kind of like this in British Columbia one time. Came back the next night for the revival meetings. Saw a man I had got to know at the church, and I just said, uh, well, how are you tonight? And he looked at me, and he said, clean. That's a wonderful thing. And yet it's step one. Step two is abide in me. But you can't skip step one. you got to be willing to be purged. Well, I'm not as bad as other people here. Now, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your sins. You know what your father will do? He will orchestrate your life to highlight your sins. Man, I've seen it when I was a pastor. I tried to protect some people. I remember somebody came back to church after being gone for a long time, and their problem was they were super sensitive. How many of you know any Christians that are overly sensitive? They could be offended easily so and now they're back and it was their first Sunday back oh man praise the Lord look who's here then I was in the front and I was looking all the way to the back you know who walked right up to our sensitive person the biggest bull in that china shop in our whole church 
the most offensive man in the whole church, and he's going right up to them. Hello, good to see you back. I don't know what he said next. Maybe he said, where have you been? Are you back? I don't know what he said. But I was back there. I was like, oh, no, Lord. Oh, no. It was too far back for me to get back there and protect her from him. See, but you know what I learned as a pastor? Things that I want to avoid, God takes on. He knows what we need. He'll orchestrate your life and the sermons to highlight your sins and their effects. It'll go through your head. Do you know why I'm not getting along with my sister? You know what's wrong in our marriage? It's probably I'm doing this and it's provoking that. Yeah, right. God orchestrates our lives because he's bringing us to a higher level and he's got to do this. And he'll not only highlight our sins and their effects, he will talk to us about that. You know what? That's your fault. Oh, man. Now, I'd like you to turn to Psalm 139. The real problems in our Christian lives is our sins. Now, we like deeper preaching than that. But if you're lying, that's your problem. And if you're using God's name in vain, that's your problem. Uh, I remember I was recently with a pastor in Indiana, and we went out to see a family where uh, some of them were Christians, some of them weren't saved yet, including the dad. He was in bed. And I said, well, well we'd like to, I'd like to meet your dad. Oh, sure. They went back to get the dad, and I'm imagining what's going on. He's in bed. And uh, so they came out there and said, he'll be out in a minute. So we're making small talk, and we're talking for a while here. He doesn't come. So then they go back, and I'm thinking, man, oh, man, they're just bugging him. So, but he's in bed. And uh, finally they said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get him. And I said, well, no, let's just start talking, okay? And then he came in. So I didn't think he was particularly interested in talking to me, but he sits down and I ask him if, uh, let me ask you, sir, there are verses in the Bible that say if you do this, you'll have eternal life. More than one of them. And they are easy to understand. And through Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven of your sins and be sure that you have eternal life. Would you like to see one of those verses? He said, yeah. So we're reading the verses, and I get to the part of the fact that we're all sinners. And uh, so I took an example. You know what a sin is? A sin is to break God's law. It says, thou shalt not, and you did it anyway. Repeatedly, knowingly, no excuse. We've all broken God's law. And then I said this, like, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For God will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. To take the name of God in vain is to use it irreverently. It's legitimate to use the name of God when you're talking about God, when you're praying to God, when you're thanking God, but it's not legitimate to use his name as an attachment to a cuss word or to say bye to punctuate your sentence. That's a sin. Now, somebody might defend it and say it's only words. That's not killing people. Well, if you don't think you're guilty because you have taken the name of God in vain, then read the commandment. It says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for God will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. 
And we already know what will be said on Judgment Day. If the only thing you ever did wrong was to use God's name in vain once, you already know that the judge is going to say guilty. And we stayed on that for a while, and then about how Jesus died to pay for our sins so we could be forgiven, and the man got saved. When I left, the pastor was with me in the car, and he says, Brother Flanders, I got to tell you about something. I was out here and talked to the same man about being saved. And uh, several weeks ago, and you know what he was doing the whole time, even while we were talking about the Lord? He was taking God's name in vain. That's his besetting sin. Cuss, cuss, name of Jesus, name of God, over and over and over again. I said, oh man, if I'd have known that, I would have never said it. I'd have been too scared. But you know what God was doing? Focusing on his sins, because you can't be saved until you know you're lost. See, okay, now, I'm a Christian, and I want to be cleansed so I can learn how to abide in Christ. And one of the places that helps us with that, of course, is Psalm 139. Right at the end of it, we probably know the words, but I want to show you something I discovered about Psalm 139 that'll help us right now. Now, okay, Psalm 139. Right at the end there, you know where it is, verse 23, where it says a prayer that we could pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, there is a prayer that I would call a self-revival. If someone said, you know what, I need to be revived, but I don't have time to get out to the meetings. You know what you could do? Get alone and shut the door and say, now, Lord, show me my sins. Show me my sins. Because the problem is your sins. Okay, but look at this. Psalm 139, look at the way it begins. Are you working with me now? Verse 1. Oh, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Now we're praying, search me, O God, but he's already done it. And know my heart, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Try me and know my thoughts. Thou compassest my path. Am I lying down? Thou art acquainted with all my ways. See if there be any wicked way in me. So Psalm 139 starts out by saying, you know all about me. You have already searched me. You already know me. You know my thoughts. You know my ways. You're intimately acquainted with me in every way. So it's a wonderful psalm. You get to the end of it and he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Now, why on earth would he ask God to do what we have just read God already did? He already knows me. Why is it? Here's what he's saying. God, you know me. You know everything about me. And you know what? I'm good with it. Now, show me what you see. God, you know me. 
You know the parts of my life that I cover up. You know the sins that I justify. You know what's in my blind spots. You already know, and you know what? I'm not uncomfortable with it. I'm good with it. <laughs> you know who I really am. You're far more than my family or my classmates. You know the real me, and you know what, God? I'm good with it. So would you let me know what you see? So that I can get clean? Now, you know what? That's exactly where some of us ought to go right now. You don't have to wait a couple of days to have revival. You could have it now by getting purged. And you could be purged right now. The preacher doesn't have to preach on your sins. Sometimes we think, hey, we'll come to church. It's really crazy what we think. We'll go. If he preaches on that, I'll get it right. What kind of a knucklehead are you? <laughs> If he mentions it, then I'll confess it. What are you talking about? God knows you. God knows everything that needs to happen for you to be clean. Isn't that great? He's the husbandman. He's the father. He's managing my spiritual life. So why don't I just get alone and take Psalm 139 and say, you know me like nobody does. You've known me since my mother's womb. You know all my ways. Now show me what you see. And I'll confess those things that are sins as sins because I want to be clean. Now look at me. Who would say, Mr. Flanders, I want to be clean. Right now, I'm aware that I'm not clean. I may be cleaner than I was last night, but I'm not clean. Not like clean every whit. Not with every issue gone. I don't mean perfect. I mean clean. We all have a sinful, selfish human flesh. But you know what, friends? We can have every issue between us and God cleared out of the way with 1 John 1, 9. And be clean. And you know what? I'm not asking everybody to raise their hand. This isn't a ritual. We aren't playing a game in church. I'm talking as if it was just you and me. Can I ask you a question? Who would say to me, Brother Flanders, I'm not clean. But I do want to be clean. I truly do. Raise your hand. Let me know. There we go. Look me right in the eye. Hands down. Now, who would say this? Brother Flanders, I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to say, you know me. Now, show me what you see. <laughs> I'm going to be wide open. See what happens. Confess my sins with the first John 1 9 process till I get clean. You know what? When God has cleansed me, I'd be glad to tell you I'm clean, Brother Flanders. That's something different from this morning. I've been cleansed. Wouldn't that be great to do? And I, you know what I'd like you to do is make an appointment. In a minute, I'll give you a chance to find a place and just talk to the Father and say, maybe right now, maybe the appointment's now. Maybe I have no place to go. Maybe I'm going to stay right in this chair. Maybe I'll kneel down in the front. But dear Lord, I'm coming to you sincere, and I'm saying, you know me. Now show me what you see, and I'll confess my sins till I get clean. Maybe you can stay right here. What a great hour that would be. Or maybe you need to make an appointment and keep it. I'm getting alone, and I'm going to let God cleanse me. And then, 
Somebody here just needs some help. We got preachers in this room. Did you know that? Matter of fact, if I counted how many there are that are called to preach, well, I'll tell you, we got all kinds of preachers in this room. But we got Pastor Van Gelder and other people who can help you. Some of you have questions. Some of you don't know for sure that you're saved. You don't have to stay that way. Jesus is more than willing to save you this morning. But you're going to need some help to see the way. So do this. When I give the signal, we're going to stand to our feet with our heads bowed. Then I'd like to ask you who are going to meet with God or make an appointment to meet with God to move from where you are so it's a big deal. Find a place to kneel down and tell God, here, I'm going to make an appointment or right now I want to get clean because I'm not clean. Show me what you see. Or if you need help getting saved, or if you need help in other ways, Pastor Ben Gelderman's going to be here, other preachers are going to be around. Go up to a preacher, if he looks like a preacher, he probably is, and say, I need help. Let's bow our heads. With our heads bowed, just this, who would say to me, Brother Flanders, I need help. I'm not a Christian, but I want to be. And I need to have some questions answered. I need help. If that's you, nobody's looking. I'm making sure they're not. I'd like you to look up at me and make eye contact. I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. But I'd like to pray especially for you because you're saying to me, I don't even know that I'm saved. I need help. And if that's you, would you look up at me right now? and make eye contact, all right? Or when everybody else moves, you come right down to Pastor Van Gelderen and say, I need help. And everybody else who just needs a place to talk to God, you do that. Can we do that? Dear Lord, thank you for the way you're speaking to us. You intend to cleanse us and to bring us to a higher level of living. Now, the purging, let it happen, we pray. With our heads bowed, let's stand to our feet as she starts to play a song, whatever song, and you do what I suggested that you do. Come on, right now. <laughs> 